This morning's scripture reading will be read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are not at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship. Appreciate those men who have been leading us in our worship. What a great day we have to be together to continue to worship, to continue to study. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'd like to join me, we're going to be studying in what JT just read for us. Appreciate him reading those 10 verses 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and the first 10 verses. Over the last couple of months, as I'm sure you're well aware, we've been talking about having a passion for God. And we've talked about that in a number of different ways. We've talked about why we should be passionate for God. We've talked about what our passion for God should look like, how our passion should be rooted in Scripture and expressed in our actions. Over the last three weeks, we've talked about what we've called passion killers, tools that Satan tries to use to extinguish the fire in our hearts for Jesus this morning. Over the next Sunday, three Sunday mornings, I want us to think about what we're going to call passion builders. I want us to ask the question, how can we build our passion for God? How can we build an excitement and enthusiasm for spiritual things that is greater and stronger, more dynamic than where it is right now? How can the fire in our hearts burn brighter and hotter for Jesus on a daily basis? The first passion builder that I think we need to consider is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. The judgment seat of Christ. If we're going to build our passion for God, then we have to look beyond this life. If we're going to build our passion for God, we have to look beyond spiritual things to the day when we'll finally meet Jesus face to face. 
The day whenever we will finally stand before Him, where we will meet Him at His judgment seat. I read a story about a young man who was heavily intoxicated one evening and decided to go for a swim at a nearby California beach. He went out into the water. He went down underneath the water. The problem was, after about 30 seconds, he hadn't come back up. Thankfully, an older man was watching everything happening from just a short distance away. So when he saw the young man go under the water and noticed that he wasn't coming back up, he ran out to get him. He ran out into the ocean. He picked the, the boy up out of the waves. He ran back to the shore and laid him down on the beach. After coughing just a little bit, the young man revived. The, the older man ended up saving the younger man's life that day. Fast forward just a couple of years later. That younger man is standing in a courtroom facing drug charges. As soon as the judge walked into the courtroom, the young man recognized him. The judge was the older man who had saved him from drowning in the ocean just a few years earlier. You could see the hope come into his eyes. When the judge sat down, he immediately spoke out, Hey, don't you remember me? You saved my life a couple of years ago when I was drowning in the ocean. Don't you remember that? You think you could save me again here? The judge nodded. He remembered it. But then he looked at the young man and he said these words. He said, I need you to recognize that then I was your Savior. But now I am your judge. Thinking about that story, consider again the very last verse of our Scripture reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 where Paul says, we must all. That doesn't leave anybody out, does it? That includes both Christian and non-Christian. That includes both man and woman. That includes both rich and poor. That includes those of this ethnicity and those of that ethnicity. To make it a little bit more personal, that includes you. And it includes me. For we must all. There are some things in this life that we can choose not to do. There are some things in this life that we can opt out of this is not one of those things. This is not something that we can choose to opt out of. When we think about the words of 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we can't choose to say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to participate in that. We must all what? What is this event that we're all going to participate in that none of us are going to be exempt from? Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the one who has saved us from drowning in our own sinful choices. He's the one who has rescued us. He's the one who has delivered us from drowning in our own rebellious decisions. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. Yes, Jesus has saved us. But one day, He's going to be our judge. One day, Jesus is going to judge us. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? What's the purpose of that? Paul continues, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. One day we are all going to stand before Jesus. We are all going to appear before His judgment seat. And He's going to judge us. 
Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that he's going to judge us with justice. He's going to judge us with fairness based on the things that we've done. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive back what is due for the things we've done in the body, whether those things be good or whether those things be evil. It might be tempting to think that your daily actions and decisions and words don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. This text teaches us otherwise. This text in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 shows us that our actions matter. Our words matter. Our daily thoughts and intentions matter. Why? Because that's what Jesus is going to base His judgment on. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He's done in the body, whether good or evil. As Christians, how should we respond to that? We know that the day is coming. As sure, more sure than anything else in our lives, anything else in history, we know that one day we're going to stand before Jesus. We don't know when it's going to happen. We do know that it's going to happen. We're all going to appear before His judgment seat. We are all going to receive what is due for what we've done in the body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. How should we respond to that thought? How should we respond to that reality? Whenever we think about the fact that we're all going to stand before the Lord, we're all going to meet Him face to face, and we're going to have this personal conversation about the kind of lives that we have lived, what should we do? How should we respond? Maybe for some of us that day is a scary thought. Maybe it's something we have doubts about. Maybe it's something that we're afraid of. But in answering that question, what I want us to do is to go to this text of Scripture. I want us to back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. We're going to work our way down to verse number 10. We're going to see how Paul answers that question as he defends his apostolic ministry to the church at Corinth who he's writing to. When we think about the day when we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, how should we respond? How should we feel? Number one, according to chapter 5 and verse 1 and chapter 5 verses 5 through 8, we should respond to that thought with great confidence. Have you ever went camping in a tent before? Might be something that's pretty fun to do. Maybe some of us don't like to camp in a tent Whenever you pitch a tent, what are you doing? Oh, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life, right? I'm pitching this tent, and this is where I'm going to stay. This is going to be my home until the day that I die. Not quite. Or at least that's not what I did. Whenever you pitch a tent, you're making a temporary structure. You're making a temporary shelter where you're going to sleep one, two, maybe three nights, and when those three nights are over, you're going to put it back, you're going to put it in the back of your truck and head back to your house. What if you were camping in a tent, middle of your camping trip, a big storm came through, and it destroyed the tent, it took it away, it broke it into pieces, it, it ripped it down the middle, what would you do? How would you respond to that? I can tell you what I would do. I would get back in my car, and I'd drive back to my house. That's where I'd be spending the night. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul says that each one of us has a tent. 
He's using a metaphor there to talk about our physical, earthly, temporary bodies. If you back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17, just a few verses before uh, verse, uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, actually this is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, he says, we don't lose heart, our outward self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. We live in these tents. Well, what happens when our tents are destroyed? We live in these earthly, physical, temporary bodies. What happens when they're gone? What happens when they grow old? What happens when they waste away and they're no longer working as they should? What happens whenever our earthly tents pass away? Notice the confidence of chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says, we know. This is not something we're guessing about. This is not drawing a stick and trying to think about probability. He says this is something where we have great confidence. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul says if this earthly tent passes away, we know that we have a building from God. A house that has not been made with hands. A house that is eternal in the heavens. If these earthly, physical, temporary bodies waste away, like Paul says they do just a few verses earlier, we know, we are absolutely confident that we have spiritual, eternal bodies waiting for us. Bodies that are going to be just like Jesus's. We are confident in that. If you skip down to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, the confidence continues with the word guarantee the ESV uses it. Or I think the King James uses the word earnest. Paul says that God has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. When you think about that word guarantee, that's what we would call a down payment. You're buying a house. You're buying a car. You put down a down payment. Why? Well, that tells the lender... Ultimately, the rest of the money is going to come. Ultimately, this debt is going to be paid in full. I'm giving you the down payment now, and that tells you that the full payment is going to come throughout time. It's going to come later. If you go back to verse 1, how can we know that if our earthly tents are destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal in the heavens, a house not made with hands? How can we be so confident that God is going to offer us an eternity with Him? He answers that question in verse 5. He's given us His Spirit as a guarantee, an earnest, a down payment. Because God's Spirit dwells inside of us, because He's given us the gift of His Holy Spirit, we're able to know, we're able to be absolutely confident in the eternity that God offers to each one of us. Look at the confidence in verses 6-8. through at, Paul points this out in verses 6-8. through As Christians we find ourselves in a bit of an odd spot. Where we are is not ultimately where we want to be. Paul says where we are right now, verse number 6, we're at home in the body and we're away from the Lord. Not that we can't form or develop relationships with the Lord, but while we live on this physical earth in our physical bodies, while we have our earthly tents, we're away from Jesus. We're not able to dwell in the fullness of His presence. What we ultimately want, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second, what we ultimately want is to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
But when Paul thinks about that in verses 6-8, through he says regardless of where we are, regardless of which side we find ourselves on, look at the beginning of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 8. We are always of good courage. Paul says it doesn't matter. He says it doesn't matter whether we're at home in the body and away from the Lord or whether we're at home with the Lord and away from the body, he says we are always of good courage. We always have this great confidence in the eternity that God is going to offer to us. The eternity that we'll be able to spend in the presence of Jesus. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 verses 5 through 8. When we think about the day when we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we should respond with great confidence. I'm afraid that's not the way that we always respond. I'm afraid that that's not the way that we always think about it. Think about your life. Do you have this kind of confidence? Are you confident in the things that Paul is talking about in this text? If you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, would you have this kind of confidence in your life right now? Are you confident that if your earthly tent was destroyed, you have a house from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens? Are you confident in what the Holy Spirit as a guarantee or down payment is pointing you towards? As you live your life right now, when you go through various trials and as you go through various difficulties, are you always of good courage? Do you always have this great confidence about what eternity is going to be like? If all of us are honest with ourselves, I'd venture to say in a group this large, some of us have some doubts. Some of us, our confidence is not where God would want it to be. It's not the kind of confidence that we see in this text. And that's really what John addresses. When you look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have what? Confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you see what John is saying there? John is saying when we understand who God is, when we understand how much God loves us, when we understand what God offers to us in eternity, when that becomes a part of who we are, when that's ingrained in our hearts and lived out in our lives, he says, we're not going to be afraid of the day of judgment. We're not going to be fearful when we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be confident when we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. When we understand how much God loves us and what God offers us in eternity, we're not going to be fearful expecting punishment. We're going to be confident expecting reward and eternity in the presence of our Savior. Number one, when we think about that final day of judgment, the day when we'll stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, we should respond with great confidence. Number two, whenever we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ, we should respond with a sense of longing. Have you ever had a longing for something before? Have you ever wanted or desired something so much that you just couldn't wait for it to get here? Maybe as we go throughout the work week, we find ourselves longing for the weekend. Longing for Friday afternoon. With being just a little bit less than three weeks away from Christmas. 
Maybe we find ourselves longing for that holiday to go ahead and get here, desperately desiring for Christmas to go ahead and come around. When we go throughout the summer, we long for the winter. Have you noticed that? And when we go throughout the winter, we long for the summer. Maybe you have a vacation on the books. A vacation that's going to take place in the next few months. And you just can't wait for it to get here. You're counting down the days. You're marking off the days on your calendar. Whatever it might be in your life, take that sense of longing and apply it to what we've been talking about in this text. Apply it to what Paul has been teaching us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you look at verse number 2 and you look at verse number 4, Paul says, while we're in these earthly tents, we groan. Now there's a number of different reasons that a person could groan for something. You could groan for something because you're hungry. Or because you're in pain. Because you're going through difficulty. We could groan as a result of hopelessness. That's not the kind of groaning that Paul's talking about here. He says, while we're in these earthly tents, while we're in these physical, earthly, temporary bodies, we are groaning because we can't wait for the day when that's not going to be the case. We can't wait for the day when we're going to meet Jesus face to face. When we're going to stand before Him at His judgment seat. Paul says in verse number 2, he uses the word that we have up on the screen in the ESV. We are longing. Right now we have these earthly tents. And we're longing for the day when we put on our heavenly dwellings. Verse number 4 says that this is something that burdens us. It's a burden that we carry around every single day. It's a burden that weighs on our shoulders. A burden that weighs on our hearts. We can't wait to stand before Jesus. We can't wait to meet Him face to face. It's a longing that goes a lot farther than a longing for the weekend. It's a longing that should be so much greater than for the next three weeks to hurry up and for Christmas to get here. It's a longing to meet Jesus. A longing to see Him face to face. To dwell in His presence for all of an eternity. I think there's an important distinction we need to make about that in this text. When you look at verse 3 and verse 4, Paul presents the idea to us that our desire as Christians, our longing is not to die. That's not the longing that we have. That kind of longing, a desire for death, is unnatural. I think it goes against what Paul teaches us in this text. He goes from using a metaphor about tents to using a metaphor about clothing. He says it's as if we're clothed in mortality. We're wearing these physical, earthly, temporary bodies Verse number 3, he says we don't want to be found naked. Our desire, our hope, our aim is not to strip away these mortal bodies and be found naked. Verse 4 says that we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We want our mortality to be swallowed up in life. So what Paul is saying there is he's saying our desire is not for death. Our desire is not for this life to be over. What we do desire though more than anything else in our lives, what we long for every single day that we live is to be with Jesus. To be at home with Him throughout all of an eternity. When we think about standing before Him, that's how we should feel about it. That's how we should respond. We should have a sense of longing. I mean, imagine you're at the beach. 
I know a couple people who are at the beach right now. Maybe you would like to be at the beach right now. But think about what would happen if you were at the beach and you walked into the ocean and you just so happened to grab a fish and you dragged it out of the water and laid it on the shore. What would the fish do? Oh, it would probably kick back, sit in a beach chair next to you, ask for a nice cold glass of lemonade, get a nice tan, relax, enjoy a day at the beach. If you pull a fish out of the water and it does that, you probably need to run the other direction. Because when you pull a fish out of the water and you put it on the shore, it's going to start flopping. And it's going to start flailing. Having a longing. Having a desperate desire to get back into the water. Because the water is the place where it belongs. The water is the place where it's able to breathe. And until it gets back in that element, it's going to be burdened up until the point that it dies. I want to suggest to you that that's the same kind of longing that we should have for eternity. Like fish out of water. As we live in this world, we are outside of our element. The things we have in this world aren't what we so desperately desire. Like Paul says, we groan. Not because of hopelessness or hunger or pain. We groan because we can't wait for the day when we're going to stand before Jesus. We long to put on our heavenly dwelling. We have this great desire not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. What we long for and want more than anything else in our lives, a burden that weighs on our hearts, a burden that weighs on our shoulders, is I want to be further clothed. I want my mortality to be swallowed up in life. How often do you think about the judgment day? How often do you think about that day throughout the week where you're going to stand before Jesus and meet Him face to face? If you're like me, sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. It's not something that we think about a lot. And that's not the way it should be. The day of judgment, the day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ should be something that we think about all the time. It should be the thought that encourages us. It should be the thought that motivates us. The thought that is constantly running through our minds. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see Him face to face. And until that day, I'm going to be burdened. It's kind of like what John prays at the end of the book of Revelation. When Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, what did John say? Lord, come quickly. That's the kind of longing and desire that we should have to be in His presence. And then, number three, we should respond to the thought of standing before the judgment seat of Christ with commitment. When I think about standing before Jesus one day, it should motivate me to be absolutely committed to Him. What are your goals in life? Do you have goals right now that you're working towards, maybe in your family, your job, maybe a hobby that you have? If you were to ask me what my goals were about 20 years ago, I wanted to be the world's next Superman. That didn't quite pan out. If you fast forward five or ten years from that, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And as you can tell, that didn't really pan out either, but that's what I was shooting for in my middle school years. If you had asked me about five years ago what my goals were, I got a little bit more realistic. I wanted to graduate from college. We all continue to have goals in our lives to this present day. What's the goal in your life right now? What are the goals that you're working towards every single day? Well, when you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul gives us a goal that should be at the top of our list. 
He gives us a goal that we should constantly be working towards in everything we say, everything we do, and in everything that we are. Notice verse 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, again, regardless of where we find ourselves, whether we're at home with the Lord or whether we're away from the Lord, we make it our aim. What is our goal? What is your goal? What is my goal in life? Well, whether we're at home with the Lord, whether we're away from the Lord, we make it our aim. Here's the goal at the top of our list. To please Him. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything that we are on a daily basis should be all about pleasing Jesus. The goal of our lives should be to bring a smile to Jesus' face. When we think about standing before Jesus one day, it should motivate us to be absolutely committed to Him. I'm reminded of the explorer, Hernan Cortez. Whenever he and his men came to the coast of Mexico and they, they disembarked their ships, they went on to the land. Do you know what Hernan Cortez did? He went back and burned all of his ships. Do you know why he did it? He did it so that he and his crew couldn't turn back. So that they would be committed to their goal, not only exploring the land, but also conquering the land. What is your goal in life? Is your goal in life the goal that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, whether at home or away, regardless of where you find yourself, is it your aim, is it my aim to please Jesus? To bring a smile to His face? Are we willing to burn all of our ships? Are we willing to let go of worldliness, pride, selfishness, and sin in order to please Jesus in everything that we do? Everything we say. Everything that we are. How can we think about standing before Jesus one day and not be absolutely committed to Him? Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. When we think about standing before Him on that final day, we should be absolutely committed to Him. Ultimately, the question that we need to answer this morning is, do you want to build your passion for God? Do you want to build an enthusiasm and excitement for spiritual things? Do you want the fire in your heart to burn hotter and brighter for your Lord Jesus? If we're going to build our passion for God, we have to look past this life. We have to look past what's right here in front of us. The physical things of this world. If we want to build our passion for God, we have to look into eternity. We have to look and to see the judgment seat of Christ. That day, imagine it, when we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to meet Him face to face. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We shouldn't be scared of the day when we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Instead, according to this text, that is a day, that is a thought that should bring about within us great confidence. It should bring about within us a sense of longing, a commitment to Jesus where everything I do, I want to please Him. Do we want to build our passion for God? Set your eyes on eternity. Set your eyes on the day when you're going to meet your Lord face to face and from that day forward, continually, eternally live in His presence. That's true for those who are faithful Christians. 
for those who aren't Christians this morning, or for those who aren't living faithfully as Christians, can I be kind of blunt with you? You should be afraid of the day of judgment. If you're not a Christian, or if you're not living faithfully to Jesus right now as a Christian, the thought of standing before Jesus' judgment seat should terrify you. You don't have to be terrified. You can be confident. You can have a longing for that day, wanting it more than anything else. You can live a life that's absolutely committed to Jesus, motivated by that day. Maybe you need to put on Jesus in baptism. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe you're struggling to look past the difficulties of this life to see Jesus' judgment seat and to think about how great that day is going to be. If you have any needs, if you'd like to place yourself in confidence for this day, then we'd love to help you as Jeff comes forward and leads us in our invitation song.